you don't know me yet, hello, I'm Josiah. Good to meet you. I'm the pastor for young adults here at Grace. If you happen to be a young adult, 18 to 30, come join us on Wednesdays up in the venue here at Middleburg. We have fun. To the Lorraine campus, hello. It was great to meet a few of you guys a few weeks ago. So proud to be part of church with you guys. And anybody joining in online, also welcome. Glad you're with us today. This, then, is how you should pray. Would you repeat, repeat those words with me, even in Lorraine? This, then, is how you should pray. One more time. This, then, is how you should pray. My goal this morning is to unpack the significance of those words as God's invitation to us to effectively communicate with him. But before we get there, let me set the scene a little bit. Since the beginning of time, humans have been making attempts to connect or relate with the gods or God or the divine. However, in their specific situations, they understood him to be. Humans have been making attempts to connect with the divine. There's a built-in longing in the human experience to be in relationship with God. I think we can see this longing come up in times of hardship in people's life, or even in big transitions, weddings, that kind of thing. Uh, people become religious all of a sudden, right? In their deepest, darkest places, sometimes you see people crying out to God. We saw it collectively as a nation 21 years ago after the wake of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Where did people go? They went to church and to places of worship. Attendance was up 25% across the nation in churches and places of worship. And I think that's because people have a built-in longing to connect with God, for answers from God, for comfort from God, for truth. And ancient history also proves this, that throughout ancient civilizations, some of the oldest history that we have of humanity shows that there were concepts of gods uh, in some of these earliest societies. And not only concept that, that there was higher powers that existed, but actually attempts to make communication with those gods. They'd have rituals. In all these different cultures, there were rituals in attempt to communicate with God. And so they would offer sacrifices, and a lot of times they would offer sacrifices um, to give a gift to God to earn their favor, or the gods. They would uh, make sacrifices to deal with their sins. And all of this was an attempt to communicate with the gods. Old Testament scholar John Walton asks a fascinating question about this, though, about ancient Near East cultures outside of Israel. He says, how did people or priests in these ancient cultures outside Israel discern what rituals would satisfy the gods? People and priests were left to deduce what might please the god. When that did not seem to work, that is, when all possible ritual recourse had been followed and still evidence pointed to an angry god, they could only guess what he might want. And this is a sad story. There was no clear answer for them to the fundamental question, how do I connect with God and how do I know if I'm doing it right? He seemed desperately unreachable. No way of knowing if bad things in life were happening because the gods were angry and no way of knowing how to make them happy again if they were. They were shooting in the dark, guessing, and their guessing often led to really terrible places like human sacrifice and unspeakable evils, which the God of the Bible forbade. 
Well, we're born with a drive to communicate with the divine, but if the divine doesn't reveal himself, how could we possibly know if we're doing it right? If you're resonating a lot with that question, let me assure you that the rest of this message is good news. We are not left in the dark. We know from the Bible that God is a self-revealing God, that God is love, and that in his very nature, he's relating to us. In his very nature, he's showing himself to us so that we can relate to him. This is who our God is. And the gift of the Old Testament law in the, in the Old Testament was the gift of God revealing himself. Finally, they had an answer to the question, how do I communicate with God and how do I satisfy him? And how do I know if I'm doing it right? They had a clear and accessible instructions for the proper ways to say thank you to God and the proper ways to remember the great things that God had done and the proper ways to deal with their sin. From the beginning, the Bible has been telling the story of humans successfully connecting with God. God, and this is such good news. The Old Testament law was kind of like an instruction manual for God's people. Let's build something beautiful together if you follow these steps. But even in those steps, even in this instruction manual, the first command was relational. The first command is love the Lord your God. So even embedded into this instruction manual is relationship. Well, speaking of instruction manuals, my eight-year-old son, Silas, loves to play with Legos. And I'm really impressed with the way that he can take these instructions. Even before he could read, he could take these Lego instructions and build cool stuff. Cars and um, boats and gas stations. Well, sometimes he gets stuck and he'll come to me and he'll say, Dad, can you help me? I'm not doing this right. Something went wrong. And on my good days, I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll... I'll come over to his level, because these are little. You have to get down in there. And so I'll come down into his level, and I'll take a look at all the pieces, try to figure out where, what he's done, and then I'll flip backwards in the instruction a few pages, because he probably missed something in there. And then we'll search for the right pieces, and if we just undo this, and then we add a couple of these. Now, you find that piece there, there. Now you're doing it right. And when I tell him he's doing it right, he smiles because that was the point. He was trying to do it right. He wanted to do it right. Without instructions, it would be impossible to do it right, right? Unless you're an engineer in the room, maybe you're like, yeah, I could do that without instructions. But <laughs> when we're talking about communicating with God, without any instructions, it would be impossible to do it right. Well, with Israel, even with the instructions, you got to follow the instructions. And that was their problem. They weren't, they weren't following the instructions. They rebelled against God's covenant. They rebelled against the things God said, this is what you need to do to relate rightly with me. And they even ended up forgetting about it. Well, God in his wisdom knew that this was going to happen. He knew that Israel would forget, that they wouldn't keep their part of the bargain. So all throughout the Bible, God is hinting at a time when things would change. He was sending prophets to let them know that there's a future day coming when there would be a fundamental shift in the relationship between God and people. Because God had a plan to reveal himself in an even more clear and personal way than we got in the Old Testament law. Listen to this prophecy from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with my people Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will people, will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. See how relational that is? There's a future day coming to the prophet Jeremiah where he said, I'll put my law in their hearts and they will all know me. The connection with God will be established and right relationship and communication with him will be possible on a whole new level in a fundamentally deeper way. Well, one starry night in Bethlehem, that day came. And God became human and made himself known with never before seen clarity. People once wandered around hoping that maybe they could do something to appease their unknowable angry gods. But now the creator God himself entered into his creation to make himself known with flesh and blood and with facial expressions and with body language in a language that they could understand with words that were ushering in the prophesied era in which people can now know the unsearchable God with clarity that was never possible before. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says it like this. Well, points to this reality when it explains that the Old Testament rituals were but a shadow, but the reality is found in Christ. And in Colossians 1:15, it says, We have an image of the invisible God in Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says it this way, He made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. You can hear it all again in John 1, 16 to 18 so clearly. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. The Old Testament law was already grace. But now we have received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come through Jesus. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. I know I threw a lot of verses at you fast right there, but the main point is this. One of the great blessings that Jesus brings us is the ability to know God with astonishing clarity. Jesus reveals to us what God is like. I want to say as an aside that I actually don't think that this is the main point, the main reason that Jesus came. 
I think the Bible makes it really clear that Jesus primarily came to deal with sin. And he came to die on the cross and make a way for us to go to heaven. When we accept Jesus as our savior, we accept his death on the cross and his resurrection to new life as our own. And we put our faith in him. We are saved. And we're, we're right to celebrate that as the central teaching, the central claim of the Christian faith. And I actually don't even think we can really understand. It's not even possible to grasp the revelation that Jesus is giving us about who God is until we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, until we've been born again and filled with the Holy Spirit and our minds are enabled to understand the revelation that God is giving. So if you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior yet, why wait? Don't wait. Come up at the end of the service. There's prayer people here that would love to have that conversation with you. But I also think it's so amazing, so precious that along the way to the cross, Jesus spent time and energy and actually went to great lengths to explain and demonstrate what God's requirements are, how to do it right, how to communicate with God, how to live now that we're saved. Now that we've accepted him, Jesus, Jesus gave us a lot of instruction about how to live. And he did that by coming down to our level, all the way down, to explain it to us. It says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that he saw the crowds. He saw these people that wanted to get it right. And he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. I think everything I've said so far can be summed up in that sentence. He sat down and began to teach them. God came down and sat on the earth to explain to us, you missed several pages. Um, you kind of didn't get the point on this one. If we go back here, let's, let's rebuild on a new foundation. There. There it is. Now you're doing it right. <laughs> I think that's what the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> Jesus came to our level to explain to us what God wants for his followers. The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest moral teaching of all time, as many scholars would say. It's Jesus' own description of what he wants his followers to do and to be. It's clear self-revelation from God regarding his expectations for his followers. And right at the middle of this important sermon, Jesus tackles the question that history has been asking for all ages. Jesus tackles the question, how do I communicate with God and how do I know if I'm doing it right? So right in the center of the center of history, Jesus comes with an answer to that question that we're asking. I think that question is, how do I pray? And so through Jesus, God in the flesh gives us an answer. And the answer is so simple and so clear. It's almost like we skip over it because it was so simple and clear. From his seated position on the mountainside, looking into the faces of people who just wanted to get it right, he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In giving us this prayer, God is letting us know that he would, how he'd like us to speak with him. He came from heaven to earth with instruction about how he'd like us to communicate with him. What a gift, isn't it? In light of all the nations and cultures around, all throughout history that we're just guessing, hoping, maybe they were getting it right. The words of the Lord's Prayer are not magic words. It's not an, not an incantation or a formula. In fact, before telling us how to pray, Jesus explains how not to pray. And he says, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. They're shooting in the dark. They're guessing they're trying to come up with some right words that will do the magic that they're hoping will happen, but not so with you. You don't have rituals, meaningless mind games. You have a father. These words are also not the only words that the Bible tells us to pray. It's not like this is the only prayer that a Christian can pray. The Bible's full of prayers that we should pray. These words are not powerful in themselves. These words are powerful because they're true. They're powerful because they point to realities about who God is that will transform us if we affirm them. They're powerful because they will transform our view of who we are in light of him if we repeat and, and mean these words on a regular basis. They're powerful because they will shape and inform our attitudes, which will shape and inform our actions. Align your prayers to the pattern in the Lord's Prayer and you'll never have to wonder again, am I doing this right? They're powerful because affirming these truths and making requests from a sincere heart will transform us in the specific ways that God would like us to be transformed. It's like a prescription for a paradigm shift. It's like he's given us a write-up for a new worldview, a study guide for a new self-understanding, an ongoing practice for an eternal perspective. These are repeatable affirmations for the renewal of your mind. But how does this prayer transform our view of God? Well, let's take a look at some of the truths that we affirm when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Right off the bat, in starting with our Father, we realize we cannot approach God without approaching a relationship. We cannot properly approach God without understanding that he is a God of love, that he is the perfect father figure that you've been craving since birth. And that's how we ought to come to him as our father. We've already talked about what a gift this is. And now on top of it, we get to realize that he's a perfect father that we're coming to. And the way that he wants us to commun communicate with him is like a father to an adopted child that he loves so much. Wow. <laughs> and we remember when we pray the Lord's Prayer that he's in heaven. And that his name ought to be kept holy. And that his name ought to be set apart and separate. And that he is so far above and beyond everything that he created. And everything that he's ever done is perfectly good. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we remember that he's in complete control of a kingdom ruled by his perfect love, beauty, and justice. And that he's in the business of extending that kingdom from heaven to earth. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we remember that he cares about us 
our needs, the basic things that we need. And we remember that he forgives. You got to think about this one for a second. God came all the way from heaven to earth to tell us to ask him for forgiveness. I hope you believe that he wants to give it to you. I hope you can receive forgiveness from him when you ask. It's a promise in scripture. Confess your sins and he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we remember that he's just. His forgiveness is so consequential that he requires that we give it to others when we've received it from him. We remember that he cares about the moral decisions in our life so much that he's always going to give us a way out of temptation. And we remember that he's completely victorious over the enemy. Can you see how understanding, how our understanding of God aligns with the truth when we affirm the truths in the Lord's Prayer? Well, not only does it transform the way we see God, it transforms the way we see ourselves in relation to him. The more we affirm that God is our father, the more we're going to believe it. And the more we're going to step into the limitless relationship that that provides for us. The more that we affirm that God's name needs to be set apart as completely holy, the more we're going to be attracted to his glory and separated from our old life of sin. The more that we ask for his kingdom to come on earth and acknowledge the perfection of heaven, the more we're going to be aware of the ways that he's working in our world already around us and the more eager we're going to be to engage in that activity. Pray the kingdom come and then you get to be part of that. You get to be part of the kingdom coming. The more we surrender to his will, the more he fills us with his Holy Spirit. The more we acknowledge our need for things as simple as food, the more humble we become, the more grateful we become, the more generous we become. The more we admit our sins and ask for forgiveness, the more our lives are going to begin to actually align with the righteousness that he declared for us when we accepted Jesus as our Savior. And the closer we get to the abundant life that flows from living according to his standards. The more we search our hearts and dig out bitterness and offer forgiveness to others, the more we're going to live in personal freedom. The more we ask for deliverance from temptation, the stronger our resistance muscles will grow. And the more we acknowledge Jesus' victory over the enemy, the more we can walk with our heads up high, claiming confidence and courage to be shining lights in this dark world, transferred from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. It's transformative. In Jesus' day, Jews would pray three times a day. They'd pray when they got up, they'd pray at three o'clock in the afternoon, and they'd pray before bed. It was tradition, it was embedded into their culture. And so for them, on the mountainside and the early church, it would have been really obvious what the application would be for this message that Jesus is giving. Okay, now when I stop and pray, I know what to say, right? Well, we don't have a three times a day rhythm embedded into our culture like some, some do. Um, and I'm not saying we necessarily need to. If that detail was important to Jesus, he could have said three times a day, stop and say these words. But I think what the point is, is that on a regular basis, we should be consciously aligning with the truths in the Lord's Prayer. On a regular basis, use these words as a template for your prayers. If it helps you to meaningfully recite them exactly as written, that's awesome. Maybe it helps you to use the Lord's Prayer and each line as a template for more prayer. 
that's great too. And maybe there will be seasons in your life where you're like, I can't get past the Father word. I'm just going to hang out there and that's going to be my prayer for a while. And all the things that that brings up in your heart. But on a regular basis, use these words as a template for your prayers. My dad likes to ask the question, who are we becoming by what we're repeatedly doing? And I think there's some truth to the idea that the thoughts that we think and the truths that we affirm actually shape who we become. There's even some compelling science behind the idea that our physical brains are actually impacted by the thoughts that we're repeatedly thinking. And isn't it wonderful to know what, exactly what God would like us to repeatedly affirm? It's a gift to know exactly what God is wanting us to repeatedly pray. So who do I want to become by what I repeatedly think? I want to become a person defined by the attitudes and perspectives in the Lord's Prayer. I want to remember all day long that he's my father. I want to worship him for his holiness all day. I want to engage in the extension of his kingdom. I want to regularly admit my need. I want to be confessing my sins so quickly, and I want to be so quick to offer that forgiveness to others. I want to ask him for help from temptation. I want to be walking with moment by moment confidence that the devil has no power over my life because I'm walking with Jesus and Jesus already won. This is who I want to become. So I found something silly to help me remember. I've got a little silver, silver coin that uh, somebody gave me a long time ago. And for me, there's a little connection. It's a, I tried to explain it in the first service. It's, it works for me in my mind. It reminds me to pray the Lord's Prayer. Basically, it reminds me of when Jesus told Peter to catch a fish. And that story, uh, there's a silver coin in the fish's mouth. And that shows how Jesus is king of another kingdom, which reminds me to pray your kingdom come. Which <laughs> that's, the, that's the roundabout way that this little coin reminds me to pray the Lord's Prayer. But it works for me. It's like I feel it in my pocket or I hear it jingle and it reminds me to pray the Lord's Prayer. Not telling everybody to go get a silver coin. What I'm saying is find something that works. Because for me, it's so refreshing to know that there's something simple I can do multiple times a day that's completely healthy and completely good. Our culture is pretty saturated in opinions about what's healthy, right? You can't go through Instagram and see all the opinions about what's healthy to think about, what's healthy to do, what's the, it's just overwhelming. But it's so refreshing to know one simple thing that I can do on a regular basis that's just totally good. You'll find a lot of those in the Bible, but I'm finding some, some real comfort in the Lord's Prayer, being totally a healthy thing to engage with. So I want to encourage you to give it a try. Somehow find a way that works for you to incorporate the Lord's Prayer into the normal rhythms of your life on a regular basis. Trust that the wisdom of God, that these truths are worth affirming regularly and sincerely, and that these requests are worth making often. Trust that when he came from heaven to earth to tell us how he'd like us to talk to him, that if we obey, we'll be transformed in precisely the ways that he wants us to be transformed. Can we pray together now? Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for being our Father. Thank you so much for being the God of love. Thank you so much for relating to us and revealing yourself to us so that we can know you. 
hallowed be your name, Lord. Would you be held holy in my life? Would you be set apart as holy in this church? Would you be set apart as holy in my family? Would you be set apart as holy in our cities? Lord, would you be set apart as holy? Would we know and, and love and worship you for your holiness? Lord, would your kingdom come? I think we're seeing it already today. You're breaking into lives. You're whispering in ears. You're speaking to us. You're gathering us. And your kingdom is coming. Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. Get us out of the way and do what you want to do because you're so good. Right here on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, we acknowledge our needs. As simple as the food that we eat and as complex as the difficult answers that we're looking for. Thank you that you love to provide. Lord, would you search our hearts? Thank you that's the Holy Spirit that convicts us because you're kind and you're good and you're gentle. But would you search our hearts and show us the sin that we need to ask for forgiveness for? And Lord, would you help us? Give us the courage and strength to forgive others as well. May we not be in the bondage of bitterness. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Give us eyes to see where we might fall today and wisdom to hold on to you and walk through it and find the way out. Jesus, we praise you that you are victorious over the enemy. You won. So as we continually walk in surrender to you, the devil has no power over us. Thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.